Welcome back to Red Lake Nation Radio. I'm Chad Dotson. This is episode number 146 of the Best Cincinnati Reds podcast on the internet. Joining me today, once again, uh, second straight week, I believe, here is our old buddy. Not that old, younger than me, but he is our buddy, Jason Linden. How are you today, Jason? I'm well, Chadwick, very well. Ooh, Chadwick. He broke out the Chadwick already. Excellent. Sometimes you got to break it. <laughs> I understand. I have I no... Remind the populace. <laughs> yeah, I have no problem with that. That's, that's my name. Uh, you and I are going to talk for just a very short time, I guess, because we've got a pretty special interview here uh, this week. Tell us how that came about. Um, well, as many people know, Barry Larkin has a role with the Reds that involves him going to the various minor league affiliates and, and talking to players and working with them. And uh, happened that this week he was in Louisville, and the people in Louisville said, would you like to interview Barry Larkin? And I said yes, <laughs> because I'm sane. Exactly. And, uh, <laughs> And so I was able to sit down with him. He was very generous with his time. I asked for 10 minutes, and we talked for about 25. Um, and I think it was a really good interview. Um, you know, I think one of the benefits, and I said this to him, of talking to somebody from, from Red Leg Nation, somebody who knows uh, Red's baseball, is that I'm not asking him to repeat 1990 World Series stories for the 78th time. You know, we, we all know they're great stories, and we all know them, and we all love them, but... Google it, you know. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Whereas in, in this case, I think we were able to uh, learn some things that we, that that maybe haven't haven't we haven't heard before. In particular, um, I think everybody remembers the the recent signing of a of a shortstop who then had uh, number eleven on his jersey, and and people wanted to get very upset about that. But uh, in this interview, uh, Barry Larkin will explain to you why you should not be upset about that at all. Um, and. Uh, among other things, you know, there there are definitely some interesting tidbits in this uh, in this interview. The other one I would I would point out and uh, and ask people to pay attention to is uh, the way Barry Larkin brings up and uh, and talks about of his own volition uh, Tony Renda, who continues, as far as I can tell, to open eyes in the Reds organization. And and uh, and, and it was someone who I was like, well, he might be you know a nice enough player, but is is seems to be turning into somebody we should maybe pay attention to. Very interesting, and uh, let me just say this before we get into this interview and, and, and play the interview for our listeners. I'm really upset with you. <laughs> I wanted, I wanted this interview. You know, Larkin's my favorite player. Chad, he's every Reds fan's favorite oh. player who was born between like what yeah. seventy five and about eighty five. Like, it's really true. I mean, you know, yeah. Larkin is just—he's uh, been the guy. He's—he's the, he's the Hall of Famer that those of us of a certain age that we got to watch his entire career. You know, we we yeah. we were born in the middle of the big red machine, and, and that uh, that team is always going to be special to all of us, certainly. But man, Barry Larkin, the nineteen ninety Reds. Uh, you know that that's sort of our team in some ways, and and Larkin is just. I mean, we could spend an entire hour having a conversation about how great Larkin was as a player and how complete he was as a player, just good at everything. Uh, really excited to have him on the podcast. Uh, good work, Jason. Yeah, and you know, just on the Barry Larkin thing, real briefly. You know, I'm one of the things I, I always tell people is that I, I was born in '80, so when Larkin debuted, I was six years old which is just old enough to really start remembering stuff. And, uh, and when he retired, I was 24. So I went from first grade to theoretically functional semi-adult. Uh, 
And he was the only shortstop the Reds had ever had. So, you know, getting to sit down and talk to him was definitely uh, a big thing and definitely a, absolutely a privilege. Well, you're barely a functional adult now, but... Uh, I know. I really, <laughs> well, I said, you know... But really, his... I, I, Go ahead. No, I was just going to say I was I was at best like a replacement level adult. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, yeah, his career was really, during your formative years as a baseball fan, it really, that those were the years. I mean, from the time you really started liking the Reds until... Uh, it was sort of cemented as who you part of who you are. Uh, well, yeah. same with me. I'm a little older than you, uh, not a lot. Let me just say that. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's the guy that once I really started getting into Reds baseball, he was the guy. And yeah. um, and, and we got to watch his whole career, and it's really just something special. And kind of the way uh, I think maybe my son, uh, uh, he, maybe not quite. Uh, the, the ages don't work up. But I was thinking that someone of a certain generation is going to feel the same way about Joey Votto. You know, a special player. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. My son's a little young for that, but uh, he loves Joey Votto now, but his favorite player is Brandon Phillips. We'll get into that on another podcast. Um, so anyway, back to Barry Larkin, Jason, um, looking forward to uh, playing this interview for everyone. And unless there's anything else you want to do to uh, to set it up, let's go ahead and run it. What do you think? I think we should listen. Here we go. Jason uh, Linden talking with Barry Larkin for Red Leg Nation Radio. So I wanted to, the, the various places I write for are a little more, I guess, everybody's heard the 90 World Series stories, you yeah. know, and so I want to kind of go a little bit deeper than that, I guess, okay. if that's okay. Um, so you're, um, can you first just talk about your role with the Reds right now and what you kind of do within the organization? Right now, my role is officially, I'm a special assistant to baseball operations, which is a little different than what my role was in the past last year. It was more of a rover. So... I rove and go see different players and help with player development uh, with, my, with the infielders as well as the hitters. Uh, but I have more of an active role within the structure of the organization and kind of where we are and kind of setting um, the philosophies of what we're trying to do, how we're trying to attack the game with baseball. So you're, you're kind of involved in executing the plan, sort of the long-term plan. Well, the plan is being devised as we speak. The plan is being kind of mapped out as we speak, and that's really kind of my core competence at this particular point is kind of kind of crafting what the plan is going forward because, of course, we have a change in our organization. We've got a new GM taking over, and he's got his own ideas of how, what he wants to see throughout the organization. Now he's going to hold players accountable. So um, kind of that is where I am right now. It's kind of... It's a transition period for many of us in the organization, but that's kind of so. What I'm doing is kind of changing uh, as far as my involvement in the organization, just more in depth and more of kind of trying to come up with the proper plan and, and how to execute the plan. Okay, um, can you talk about a little bit about when you decided as a player? You know, was there a moment where you're like, you know, when I'm done? Player development is something I'm interested in. It's something because I've heard that, that it's something you're very engaged with. Yeah. Um, when did that become a thing for you, and and sort of how has it been compared to how you thought it would be? Well, it's been uh, it's been incredibly rewarding. It is it is definitely the path that I decided that I wanted to take, and it's it's, it's it has met every expectation that I thought about. Um, I kind of, I guess I kind of uh, have always been uh, interested in it. 
Um, I remember times where I would, instead of going out on the field to get loose when I was playing, I'd go into the cage and throw batting practice to guys. Uh, and that would be my throwing to get loose for the game. Um, I always loved to talk about hitting. Always been kind of a student of the game. And I, I, I guess it didn't really happen early in my career because I was learning. But as I became more senior in my tenure, um, I, I guess it just started to manifest itself a little bit more. Um, you know, when I was named the captain of the team and I started taking more of a leadership role, I guess that's kind of when it, when it happened kind of around the 90s, early 90s. Um, yeah, you know, we had some success and you know, I was definitely a leader on the team and you know, I wasn't always the vocal leader, but I was the behind the scenes guy and the guy to hold the hold the uh, the team only uh, meetings and uh, getting someone's behind when I needed to and so I kind of I guess it kind of just all came together. I mean, I really never thought about it in that respect, but that was just always kind of what I did as a player, as a person, just kind of pull people together and you know, offer them whatever kind of advice I could as far as what could help them become better players. So I guess it would be the early 90s when it, when it really started to kind of manifest itself. Um, can you talk about some of the talent you've seen especially here in Louisville, but even throughout the system, and some guys who are coming along, you know, especially if guys who you where you're surprised at the progress they've made, um, or guys who seem really promising who we might not be thinking about. Well, I, you know, I would prefer not to talk about individuals because uh, I'm surely going to probably leave someone out. So I try to try not to do that, but we certainly have um, some players that are coming. We have a lot of young players in the organization that are starting to push some of these more experienced players. You know, here in AAA, you've got the more veteran players in our organization, and I think they, as a whole, are feeling um, you know, the heat of some of the young players coming. You know, we've got uh, Jesse Winker is a young guy that happens to be here. Um, you know, and so I think you're going to see a lot more of those, a lot more dynamic players uh, that are going to be coming up through the system. I think our organization for as a whole, for the most part, uh, has been uh, position rich and pitcher thin. We're no longer pitching thin. I think uh, one of the strengths in our organization now is our pitching. And that's really nice to see. Um, so I think what you're going to see is I think you're going to see more of a uh, more of more incentive as far as the players are concerned to be more impactful. I think that's really kind of where we're trying to go as an organization is to to not be safe. I think one of the things we've fallen into as an organization, at least in the past, has been this let's just make the play kind of mentality. And when you when you have that kind of mentality, then you make the plays, but you don't you don't push the fold, you don't, you don't, you know, just, you don't really kind of, you're not a trailblazer out in the front, you're just kind of along for the ride. And at the big league level, you know, we had three or four years in a row of success of making it to the playoffs. But the question was, why can't we get past that first round? 
and uh, you know, and I think organizationally, there's an understanding that we have to do something different so that we could we can get over that hump. Of course, they made a few changes and traded away to a lot of really good talent. Um, so, you know, we've taken a step back, and when we took that step back, I think the idea was okay. Next time that we get to that level. We're going to be able to get over that hump by training our younger players to be impactful as opposed to being safe. Uh, so I think that's one philosophical change that hopefully fans of this organization will see in the everyday play of the players. Um, going back to something you said um, kind of at the beginning of that, you mentioned all of the young players who are, as you said, they, they're coming along and they're kind of pushing, pushing the people ahead of them. Um, you went through that at the beginning of your career. You know, it, the, there are many easier jobs than playing shortstop for the Reds after Davey Concepcion. Absolutely. Right? Um, can you talk a little bit about how that felt for you coming up as a young player and, you know, as a way of sort of helping us understand how it must be feeling for guys like Winker or Peraza or whoever, who we know have the talent, but they've still got it establish themselves and they've still got those guys in front of them who have been getting it done. Um, you know, what does that feel like as, as a young player? Well, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. It's an external challenge. It's an internal challenge as well. It's, as a ball player, growing up as a ball player, the, the dream is always to make it to the big leagues and get the game-winning hit in the seventh game of the World Series and be the World Series MVP and whatever. But the, the dream is to be in the big leagues, to play in the big leagues. And, you know, when you realize that dream is right there, then it does one or two things to you. It incentivizes you or it paralyzes you. And, uh, you know, I think many guys that are at this level right here are so close that uh, they have to make that determination on whether or not they're being paralyzed or incentivized. And... And that in itself takes a different takes different twists and turns in each player internally. Um, Peraza has had his shot uh, at the big league. Tony Renda has had his shot, and Tony Renda, you know, he came from not being an everyday player at all. He was traded over here. He came over, didn't have a position, and he's playing. He wasn't even scheduled to be an everyday player last year in Pensacola in Double A. And this year he's had a couple runs at the big in the big league level. So he is a guy that is incredibly incentivized with and enamored by the opportunity to get to Cincinnati and took full advantage of it. And uh, his attitude really kind of personifies what you want in an impact player. So, you know, so I think for each person it's either they feel the pressure or they feel the liberation of that opportunity. And I know personally for myself, I felt pressure because I'm from Cincinnati. I was born and raised in Cincinnati. I grew up a huge Cincinnati Reds fan. Um, I idolized Davey Concepcion and Pete Rose and Tony Perez. And I got a chance to play with those guys and meet those guys. You know, and I don't know how many people have had a chance to meet their childhood idol face to face and get a chance to work with them. And, you know, it was even more pressure because I idolized David Concepcion, but I was competing with him trying to take his job. And that was really a tough situation for me. So 
I played as if I were just a complimentary player to Davey and to that shortstop position. And early in my career, Eric Davis and Dave Parker pulled me to the side and told me that if I didn't start playing with more impactfully and more of a passion, that they were going to take me behind the shed and just wear me out. And I swear this is a true story. And, uh, you know, they pulled me to the side and they said, listen, you're doing well, but we know you got more. And, you know, and I was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, all that time I was just kind of going through the motions because I was kind of paralyzed by, I was there in the big leagues, but I was not, I didn't see it as an opportunity just for me to just be free and do whatever I did naturally. I just saw it as an opportunity. I just didn't want to make any mistakes. So I was, I was very paralyzed by that opportunity. And when they took me, when they took me to the cages and told me that they were going to whoop me if I didn't start playing, that's when I saw that there was an opportunity, a real opportunity for me. And then I took full advantage of it. And it was like a night and day difference. That's why I can. That's why I say that either players are paralyzed or liberated by it because I felt like I was so there was so much pressure on me to do the right thing, to not make mistakes, as opposed to the liberty to make mistakes and try all these new things that I could do because I was athletically talented to do. And so you see, I have these conversations with players on the, on the, on the field, and they ask me, Lark, what about the pressure? What about the pressure of being a first-round draft pick? It's one of the conversations that I've had with some of the young players in the organization. You were a first-round draft pick. I'm a first-round draft pick. What did you? How did you feel coming up? And did you feel that players looked at you differently and blah, blah, and all this different kind of stuff? So, you know, so my job here is multifaceted. But you know, when you see a guy that's getting close, you just you kind of watch to see how he plays and how he internalizes things and how he deals with it. You know, I'll ask a probing question. So what do you think about what do you think about hitting more home runs? You know, you're an outfielder and you've got you know a couple of home runs. Is that how you're going to be impactful? Do you think that would play at the big league level? No. Okay, then how are you going to change? How are you going to get better? And really kind of let them answer that question, but just bring it up so that they're very mindful of. Ooh, I got to do a little bit more because this isn't enough. See, I won't take him out and say I'll whoop you on the back of the shed, but Dave Parker and Eric Davis, they certainly did it for me. Um, I don't know if that answered your question. No, it did. That was was an excellent answer. Um, Go into your playing career a little bit now. I'm going to go way early because I've never heard anybody ask you about this. Um, you played in the Olympics. I did. In 84. Yeah. And um, we've got an Olympic year. We just finished up now. Um, talk, can you just talk a little bit, reminisce a little bit about what your experience was like there, both with the other baseball players you would have seen and what other athletes you would have interacted with and, and sort of how that felt? Oh, man, it was, it was an incredible feeling. Patriotism was an all-time high. Uh, yeah, the Olympics in 84, that was in, uh, it was in L.A., Baseball was still a is an exhibition sport at that time, so we had our own individual opening ceremonies and closing ceremonies at Dodger Stadium. We weren't really part of the Olympic. We were in the Olympic Village, but we weren't part of the the whole overall Olympic theme. Um, but it was certainly 
it was certainly a, a wonderful experience. Uh, baseball playing wise, uh, at the time I was a sophomore in college, all the other guys were juniors and all the other guys that were on that team, I think except for maybe one, were drafted. Uh, and I remember I was a shortstop that I played a little second base at the time. I wasn't a second baseman, I was a shortstop. And I couldn't play. They wouldn't allow me to play. We had the Olympic, we, we toured the United States and we played on an Olympic tour. And we had some different players that played on that tour and we had, uh, it was kind of, a, kind of a tryout, if you will, to kind of get down to the final roster. And I was one of the guys that made the final roster to go to L.A. And uh, when I got to L.A., I, I didn't hardly get on the field at all. And it was the first time in my life that I wasn't playing. And I knew that I was better than the guys that were playing. But I was 19, and you know the guys were, the guys were whatever they were. And, uh, I remember going into Rod Dato's office and asking him, uh, the manager's office, and asking him what I needed to do in order to get onto the field. And he told me just keep my mouth quiet and keep my mouth shut and just be ready when he told me it was time for me to go. And I'd never, I'd never experienced that before. So I was fresh. I was happy that I was on the team. I was frustrated that I couldn't play because I felt like, and all the players knew that I was better than the guys that were out there and that were playing. Uh, but it, you know, taught me, it taught me a few different lessons uh, about how it's not always, it's not always how you see it. It's how it is. And uh, so I had to learn a little patience and humility at that point, but I used it as, uh, as motivation. Um, you know, I tried to spin everything very positively, and thank goodness I had a good perspective at that time. And I used it not at the time that I was playing, because I was not happy at all that I wasn't playing, but I certainly used it as motivation for the next time I went to Dodger Stadium and played against the Dodgers, because Rod Dato and Tommy Lasorda were really close friends. So I saw them as the same, and uh, I always tried to make sure that I put on a special something just because I was not allowed to play when I went to go play against when I was playing for the Olympic team, and the Olympics were in Dodger Stadium. So it was a it was a fantastic experience, but I you know I remember you know, some of the, the you know, Oda B. McDowell's, the Shane Max, the Mark McGuire's, and the Will Clark's, and the B.J. Serhoff, Corey Snyder. I mean, we had a monster team. It was fun, but Japan, Japan beat us, and uh, man, it was it was it was disappointing that we lost. But it was a fantastic, fantastic uh, uh, experience in my life. Can you talk about um, kind of go from one end to the other? You know, you talked about coming up idolizing David Concepcion and then competing with him, talking about your Olympic experience. and How does it feel now? We'll still see, covering games here, every once in a while you'll see a shortstop with a number 11. And you know where that comes from. Like, it, you know, anybody who's, who's paid any attention to the Reds, how, do, how does that, what's the feeling come in there where you see those guys or you talk to the guys who grew up thinking, I, I want to be the next Barry Larkin? You know, man, it's, it's, it's humbling, you know. It's I'm honored, you know. This past year, we signed a shortstop. His name is Alfredo Rodriguez. Yeah. 
and I knew him before he signed. I've been to Cuba, I've seen him play, I met him before he signed. And we formed this friendship. And when he signed, he signed with the Reds uniform on number 11. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we, people were going crazy, like, how in the world? And someone asked me about it, and I said, I am, I'm incredibly honored. I'm honored that this guy wants to wear my uniform. You know, it's funny. He sent me pictures of him playing shortstop, and he sent me a picture of him one day, and beside it was a picture of me making the same move, and it was almost identical. And, you know, that is, that's humbling because you see a kid from Cuba, nonetheless, that's coming up um, that you don't have any, well, you didn't have any real relationship with, but he saw your game, he saw my game, and he wanted to emulate and imitate what I did as a player, and he wants to be that type of player. That's incredibly, it's humbling, but it's a, a tremendous honor, you know, so, uh, so I, feel, I, I feel great, I just smile. I mean, I remember when Jimmy Rollins went to a number 11, and he was like, respects, and I, you know, it's like a, it's like a shortstop club. People ask me, it's like, does Derek Jeter wear number two because it's one and a one? Too. I'm like I don't know, and I never asked G. I never asked him about it, but uh, you know, of course, Derek. Derek is, is Derek and did what he did, which was awesome. But Derek almost was a, a Cincinnati Red. Uh, and the Reds had a chance. I think they had a chance to, or they were going to to draft him. So, you know, I, I think I, I think it's a tremendous honor whenever I see somebody wearing number eleven, or someone says, you know want to be like him yeah, I think it's I think it's fantastic I, you know and I work with a lot of the really good shortstops in the game I've had a chance to touch like Dansby Swanson um, D Gordon's been one of the guys that I've worked with for the last so many years his brother Nick Nick Gordon um, Francisco Lindor is a kid that I work with almost every day in the off season uh, and to see him become one of the best shortstops in the game right now is, is rewarding. And we got some more young kids coming as well. So, you know, this, uh, this, is, uh, this player development thing has been something that's been really good for me, and, and I think the players are, are starting to see that our players are becoming better. It's no coincidence that in this organization we're going to become very strong up the middle. Some of our best players, some of our most consistent players, our middle infielders, and that is no coincidence because I tell them every single day we will be the best defensive team in the league or in the game. If you're playing on this field, you will be the best because I'm going to hold you to that level of accountability. And I think they buy into that. They buy into it because, of course, they I don't know if they saw me play as a youngster, but they can certainly Google whatever and see whatever they can see. Although, I've been told that there's not much defensive stuff of me on the internet, and I don't know why that is, but I guess no one just put that together. But um, I challenge them. I, ch I hold them very, I hold them accountable, and I set the level very high for them, and I don't give them an excuse to, to fail. So, 
you know that's kind of my it's kind of my way of teaching because that's what David Concepcion and and uh, Dave Parker and Eric Davis and Pete Rose and Tony Perez that's what they did for me and so I'm just passing it on to the, the guys that get a chance to win. Jason, my man, that was fantastic. Great interview, and and Barry Larkin just seems like a really, really great guy. He he was actually a, a really excellent interview. Um, you know, you never know with with guys what kind of interview you're going to get, but uh, his willingness to talk about all kinds of things was really uh, was really nice. It was I, I like I said, it was a very enjoyable interview. And you know, he really didn't have to do that. Uh, he had no obligation to sit down with us and uh, and speak with Red Leg Nation, uh, give you so much time and and really uh, thoughtful answers to to your questions. It wasn't a uh, pro forma interview, I guess. That's what impresses me the most about it. Yeah, and the whole time, I think he's. I, I don't think he really repeated anything I, I, that I'd heard before. I think maybe one story I'd, I'd heard him talk about before, but otherwise, it was I think pretty new stuff, which was which is great and and thoughtful thoughtful answers, as you said. Well, uh, yeah, cemented it in my uh, in my mind. Barry Larkin, still my favorite player, and this may end up being my favorite episode of all the 146 episodes of Red Leg Nation Radio. This, this may be number one for me. Jason, thank you, man. Really appreciate that. That was awesome. Thank you, Chad. All right. Uh, you know, as we say every time, go subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio at iTunes. You go to redlegnation.com and get all the links for this. But subscribe. Give us a rating and a review. Really appreciate it. A number of subscribers are growing every week and uh, getting a lot of great feedback. Really appreciate you guys downloading and listening to the podcast. You don't have to do it. Uh, I know you got a lot of things you can do with your entertainment time. And uh, I'm glad you chose us over Netflix for this particular uh, uh, segment of uh, of your life. Uh, you can also uh, we can subscribe on Android, all, all kinds of things. Go to redlegnation.com. You'll see the post, and you'll be able to subscribe to the podcast. You can also listen to it there at redlegnation.com. You can also check us out at Red Leg Nation every day, where we're following the Cincinnati Reds, for better or for worse, every single day, news and analysis, and have been doing that since 2005, and I don't think we're going to stop anytime soon because no matter what this team uh, plays like, for some reason, uh, guys like Barry Larkin keep dragging us back in. Uh, you can follow uh, Red Leg Nation at Red Leg Nation on Twitter, on Snapchat, on Instagram. You can follow Jason at Jason Linden, J-A-S-O-N-L-I-N-D-E-N on Twitter. Great Twitter follow. I'm Dotson C. I'm not a very good Twitter follow, but you can follow me if you want. Um, and please tell your friends about us if you like us. If you don't like us, keep your mouth shut. For Jason Linden, this is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone. <laughs>